Hi guys, welcome to Dr. Reggie Podcast. My name is Reggie. Welcome to episode 10 of our podcast. 10 episodes so far. Time flies. And thank you very much for hanging out with me for this 10 weeks. This week, we'll be wrapping up our discussion on education, the problems, the possibilities, and the potentials. The wrap-up session, actually, I sat with Elijah this week, and we sort of took questions from you listeners out there on what are your thoughts as regards the things that we've been sort of talking about. And that's how the this episode actually went down. Happy listening. As you can notice from my voice, I'm not too much in a good mood today because of what happened again and again this time in Niger State, where a group of students been uh, abducted again. And um, this is going on in my head because we're talking about education. You know, Elijah, what caught my attention about abduction of the students in that school in Niger State? was when I saw the, there are video clips of the campus, the school campus where these students were abducted. It actually looks like an abandoned property. The state of the infrastructure, in fact, there is no state. It was a rundown. People living in that place have already been mentally abducted. That place was an easy go, easy come kind of place. There is no way education can happen in that kind of atmosphere. It's worrisome. And this is a state-owned school. So for anyone that's going to be educated in that kind of atmosphere, you are not going to expect anything. So for me, the abduction is just a, it's a climax of something that's already been there. Those guys were not having any form of education before. It's really huge failure on the part of government. When we hear bogus figures every year that has been voted to education. This is not happening anywhere. It's reminiscent of the picture I saw once that I had to send private messages to people here in Jos about the University of Jos here where students actually take lectures seated on the floor. That was my experience. And that, you actually finished from UG, right? (laughs) And you sat on the floor. All right. I think I don't have any other comment as regards that because there's a witness sitting right in front of me right here in the studio. So for what you have become, Elijah, what you are becoming, you cannot really credit University of Georgia. Anyone that will sit on the floor in a tertiary institution, I am angry. And there are times when I don't really want to focus on the government, but the citizens who sort of allow those things to continue. So I don't know what the listeners have taken from our last three episodes, and I'm really looking forward to the kind of questions, the kind of issues that have been raised about this all-important subject of education. Elijah. Okay. Um, as you were talking, you mentioned insecurity, mm. and I glanced through and saw a question from Wei James. All right. He's a filmmaker, and his question is this. Over the course of the series you particularly highlighted finance as one of Nigeria's educational system's biggest problem. Another lesser spotted issue is insecurity. Mm. What challenges has security posed to the educational system? Are there creative ways to mitigate these challenges? When you look at that, yes, finance is critical because education would never, ever be cheap. 
it's not something that should be welfareist. It's not something, you know, it, it has to be directed at those with the aptitude. And everyone has the aptitude for all kind, different dimensions of education. Now, when he was talking about, he's making reference to security. You see, they are kind of related. Without finance properly directed, funds are not used for their intended purposes. All kinds of ugly, terrible things begin to happen in society. You can't have security if there is no financial discipline, if there is no financial stewardship. So there's no way you can provide security. To provide security, you actually need to be so financially buoyant. So finances is not even about the buoyancy now, is that it's being directed. So we can't really separate the two, that finance is critical and security is critical. In most maybe educational institutions abroad, high school, university, there's been shootings, right? But it's not something that is common. It's not something that happens all the time. And when it does happen, it is actually concluded justice is served i don't think there's been any time there's a shootout in any educational institution where the culprits are not apprehended either the person kills himself or something and is it as a totally different thing but this is a situation now where bandits besiege a school and take students hostage and there's a very terrible unfortunate dimension that actually went into this this week when those students were abducted the defense minister came out to say that Nigerians should stand up to the bandits. That tells us the kind of mindlessness that goes into the state of the mind of those who are saddled with the responsibility of governing this country. Someone sent a video clip to me, or maybe it's a picture. You know, if I didn't know this person's house, I would have said that maybe it was photoshopped. It was, this person was watching TV in, the, in his house and actually took a picture on his TV of a senator who was actually proposing a bill that the House should consider debating makeup, something about makeup, creams. makeup creams. And when this person sent that to me, he put a note that he said his six-year-old daughter would be a better fit in the Senate. Now, if all these things are happening, there's no way the nation can be secured. When the Minister of Defense, or maybe it's the Chief of Defense staff, will say that Nigerians, you know, is it with my bread knife that I'm going to go stand up to a bandit that is carrying an AK-47? You need to go and look at the features of an AK-47. If I'm going to stand up to that, I don't know. And this is the same person who should know that bearing arms in Nigeria. The reason I'm going on and on with that is that the statement from the defense minister, the proposal by this senator that is not so distinguished, that is using taxpayers' money to propose a bill that's going to focus on makeup creams, is tied to education. Those people, that defense minister or chief of defense staff, is uneducated. He's not fit for the assignment that has been given. He's not being educationally prepared for it. The senator who is using taxpayers' money, using electricity, sitting maybe on a well-padded seat made from taxpayers' money to devote that quality time to debating makeup creams 
it all borders on education. And if education is not properly positioned and is properly deployed, insecurity will be our daily experience. So this is a very, very vital question. We can deploy functional education to solving any kind of problem. So the state of insecurity, the bandit is a product of lack of education. The victims that the bandits put in a very uncomfortable position, they will become victims of lack of education. These young boys are out of school. It's going to have an, you know, an impact on their education. The campus, the school compound that I saw on TV, there is no way education can happen in that place. And all you find is all kinds of things like insecurity, lack of finance, and all those kind of things happening. It's not a good time to really talk about this, but it's good that we put a voice out there. Okay. Yeah. Our next question is actually from an artisan. His name is Seth Dungu. The natural education one gets from society was a focal point of last week's discussion. Mm -hmm. Considering the Alaba market and Igbo apprenticeship system, Good. are there ways to replicate these ideologies to spur national development within the case of Nigeria? Absolutely. This is a very, very good question, Seth. And... And I'm very glad that you are asking this as an artisan. There is a way that, in fact, it's, it should be on the front burner. As an educationist, I was talking to some of my staff this week, and I said that a lot of courses that Nigerian universities, that the private universities are offering right now, these are courses, especially courses that has to do with technical, IT, software development, and all those kind of things. You don't pursue such again by going to get a degree. You go to a vocational school and if anybody is thinking about maybe starting a school or whatever getting a license to start right now we should be focusing on specialized institutions maybe an institution that will be devoted to woodworks and that way you don't need billions of naira you don't need a massive campus to do it because it's focused because right now this guy is an artisan i don't know which particular area these are areas where you cannot begin to develop like a curriculum, all right, and put some sort of mind into it because it's easier because it's already in our culture. Now, apprenticeship is not unique to Igbos. It operates in every culture. It's just pronounced among the Igbos because of the way they've been able to sustain that over the years. And it's not, it might not be unconnected with the fact that this particular tribe they've not had the opportunity of actually accessing the public space. So it might be the benefit of self-help. It might be the benefit of self-help. I was looking at it that you hardly run into a policeman who is an Igbo man. Hardly, right? I worked in the civil service as a young man, so you hardly find that particular tribe there, right? Yes. And I think because of, maybe this might be tied to the to our past of the civil war and, and, and things like that and they've been maybe they have their back to the wall but there are huge things that we can learn from it right so whichever trade where we find ourselves there's need for us now to begin to put some sort of formality some sort of structuring i think is a better word into these trades because it's always been there I grew up in a culture where people go and learn tailoring and when they are doing what they call freedom, when that guy is graduating, it's a big event where the trainer, the guy who had mentored this guy will come and now invest in this person's life, buy the sewing machine and then the families will come, everybody will sort of contribute 
and this guy is set up to go. Now, startup business principles have been taught in very intellectual, academic kind of settings. You see all kind of people saying there are funds here for startup. The whole thing has been made so intellectual, so academic that a lot of people don't see themselves having an opportunity of accessing those areas. You see, the problem in Nigeria, we speak too much grammar, right? We speak too much grammar. There was a friend of mine this week who came on social media and he was correcting some common mistakes that we have in English. And the question I ask him is, how does this promote economic development? How does this promote social orientation or social reorientation? You know, if you are saying this to people who want to pass WAEC, that's okay. But what we should be talking about now is communication, right? It's communication. And I don't have to talk like an Englishman because the Englishman doesn't even speak as good English as me. If anyone is listening out there, maybe you work or you maybe you are part of a cooperative society. This is an area to begin to look at. Rather than you contributing money and distributing for someone to start a trade and that alone, how about the place of training? How about cooperating with other cooperative societies that are focused on other areas so that, that we can actually do some collaboration? Because I look at my mechanic, it's still basically pedestrian. The idea you realize there's still so much of try and error. So, and those things need to be addressed. Today, it shouldn't be rocket science that we have little devices that can conduct diagnostic report on vehicles. I've been able to reset some things on my car by just Googling it. Do you know you can Google in other languages? You can do search in Hausa language. You can do search in Igbo. You can do search in Yoruba. These guys shouldn't see a gadget, a phone, as something that is beyond them because they don't know how to, so to say, read and write. We need to do contextual, functional education. Someone learning this kind of vocation, we should have a situation where he or she can be certified. It's an area to look at. You can't talk about small-scale industry only on that level of grammar, intellectual, and all those kind of things. The most boring program for me on TV are finance programs because it's as if it's designed to just confuse. You know, so this kind of person, we should be able to develop a language where this person can actually be trained. Our next question is from uh, Justice Nagari. He's a primary school teacher. And his question says, as an elementary school teacher, what avenues can I take to balance the two sides of education you have discussed for my students? Good question. I don't know what sort of freedom that you have, Mr. Nagiri, but what we do in our school, what we do in class is important. And that's one thing I want us to understand. We're not promoting an either or. We're actually promoting a both and. What we have done in our school simply is at every point in time, at certain scheduled times, our students go on internship, maybe to a photography studio, maybe to a mechanic workshop, maybe someone who is into arts and you know graphic design so that they can actually see how what they learn in the class actually works in the real world and my issue is how do we merge how do we make the class much more like the real world because our education is largely theoretical i've heard someone who graduated here as a medical doctor and went abroad and he said when he was taken to because he had to start afresh in America because they don't recognize that certificates there. And she said that it was as if she never went to a medical school because 
most of what we do, they are kind of overtly theoretical. And that's why I am not a fan of examination. Exam is not the most accurate way of actually knowing whether this person understands. Exam is on the basic, the most foundational level of, you know, of education. You know, the exam basically check out whether you remember what you were taught, not whether you understand it. So, Mr. Nagari, you can actually work on some projects, physical, realistic projects, handwork. I don't know the subject that he teaches, you know, but you need to expose these kids to what they see in the books. Where's the place of excursion, even while we were in school? They call it field trips today. The only ones I see, sometimes I'm traveling out of Jaws and I see some young boys and girls, you know, file up to the airport to come and see a plane land, you know, and a plane take off. I don't know how many of them are interested in uh, being a pilot or they want to walk in it. So those, we're still very much limited to class. You ask the how question. The most basic I can tell you is let your student, like I said, I don't know the kind of freedom you have. Let your students be able to go out and check out where these things that are being taught in class is actually being practiced out there. Emmanuel Bolos is a youth copper. Okay. And this is his question. Your discussion on education highlighted the family as an important factor. Good. Is there any measure of control on the kind of education the family gives? Can the society mitigate the excesses of the education that the family gives? I'm trying to wrap my mind around what um, he's really trying to get into. Yeah, family is the foundation of education and is the cap, right? Where when we look at education from its true meaning and definition, just that holistic human development, it starts from the family. It's from the family that a child learns to value instructions, to follow instructions, to know right from wrong and all those kind of things. So the first question that we, we addressed today was talking about finance. So is the family that actually produce the financial resources for a child to get educated. But what I've seen over the years is that family, because of my experience again in you know, in education. Families have discovered that they want to abandon the responsibility of education to schools. But this is my own philosophy that the family, the parent, are the one with the primary responsibility of educating their words. If, when their words leave home to go to school, the school is only operating in a delegated capacity. So if parents are going to have any kind of influence, it should be properly defined. Many times we swing like a pendulum from one extreme to another. Sometimes the family abandon the child to the school. And sometimes the family want to overexert control over how things are done in the school. And then that pushes the school authorities into a place where they see parents as clients and parents see themselves as the employers of the school. Because there are some private schools, you see that because of the fact that I don't want to offend this parent, kids don't fail yeah even if it's doing terribly in school they promote because as long as you pay i provide whatsoever kind of service that you think we justify so the relationship between family and schooling and education generally the moment we begin to see school as an end in itself is going to affect the way families relate with the schools the school is just a medium of educating education goes beyond the school you see 
when I was in the primary school, even in those days, my mom, no, it wasn't at school, but it was very educated. At least she could still help me with my homework. Now, in those days, your parent must sign off that they actually participated in this homework. There is a column for parents to sign in those days. When you get back to school, even if you have done the homework, if your parents don't sign, the teachers won't grade it. So the relationship between family and schools should really, really be something that those who are pioneers of schools, those who have invested in schooling, should make a demand on parents not to abandon their kids. I can't forget the story. The experience I had, my wife was teaching in a school and there's this boy who got into a fight with a fellow student and injured the guy and they called the parent of the guy who was the perpetrator and the woman said i'm on my way to france why am i paying fees you should guys you guys should handle it you just heard that your son just injured someone and the first thing you say is why am i paying fees i'm on my way out of the country now you see those are the kind of things that we see and many times schools school authorities suffer because of this lack of communication that when the students have a place to hide between home and school. Two weeks ago, we were having a parent-teacher kind of meeting in our school. And we are having challenges with high school boys and girls bringing phones to school. I said, I won't blame any of the students for that. Who got them the phone? Nothing wrong in having a teenager having a phone. It's just regulation. If the school authority says that, Phone is a no-no. How did the guy, how did the boy or the girl got it to school? And we agreed at that point that without having that challenge where we introduced another service to our school where we had non-boarding. Because when our school started, it was full. It was only boarding. But a lot of people were, you know, saying they want to access our services and they don't want to do boarding. So we had a regulated, well-structured non-boarding. They still leave boarding, but they still come from home. And that was when we started having these problems. When we were full boarding, we didn't have that problem. So you see the place of the family where those things are not regulated. But phones might not be a no, 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 no. For instance, somebody said, what if the boy or the girl is leaving school all by himself or herself and had to take public transport? How do we monitor? Simple. When the boy or the girl come to school, submit the phone in the admin office. You only have it when you're going back home. So that collaboration between family and school, because school can't educate your child. It won't work. It will never happen if without your input. It's a massive issue in our school if we're having any event and parents don't show up. You don't send a house girl or a house boy to a PTA meeting. No, it's a no-no. So schools need to really really enforce that make that demand on parents and parents need to also accept that level of relationship because family is still the place where education takes place okay. because it's much more than maths and english how about household chores how about respect for elders how about how to become friends of maybe the opposite gender how does that work you can't teach all those kind of things in school i don't subscribe to the fact that sex education should be taught in school it should be taught at home. At least the foundation should be at home. I don't want my daughter getting to know about menstrual cycle in a classroom. No, it should have been taught from home. Because from home, there are few. In the school, there are many. The personal touch can't be there. My boy shouldn't 
be having wet dreams by surprise. I should have prepared that boy. A stranger can't do that. It's the parent that must do that. Reading culture can be taught in school. The only thing they can teach in school is how to read so that you can pass an exam, but to have reading as a lifestyle, to cultivate a reading culture, it can only happen within the platform of the family. So there are a lot of things. School is so limited, but the home is an eternal school. Sarah Tusambo is uh, the next person. And in her own question, she highlighted a particular documentary that came out uh, towards the end of 2019. It was called Sex for Greats. Yeah. And her question directed towards you is this. What is your take on the culture of bullying in schools, most especially Nigerian tertiary institutions? Bullying now, as it has to do with sex for greed. Yes. Now, I'll look at it on a very wide... Sex for greed is because we have read too much into passing exams. Secondly, we have placed a very high unrealistic premium on certificates. The challenge I'm having right now is I know we live in a society where people don't know how to hear. We don't know how to listen. Before a professor will approach a girl asking for sex for grade, the professor must have seen somebody who is not serious. Truth be told. Somebody who doesn't take classes seriously. Who will need that kind of help. Now, if this is a brilliant girl, because I don't know if it still happened in school. When I was in the university, and I still teach in the university, the student can question the grade. The grading, and they give it to an independent person. You will tell me, maybe Dr. Reg, maybe you don't know what happened in this school. These professors, they are like a cult. Yeah. It's because there is a market for sex. There's a market. If there is nothing on display, there's nothing to buy. That is not excusing the irresponsibility of a professor. These things shouldn't just be treated as sex for grade on that level. It's a crime. If you demand sex for grade, it's an ethical problem. And at the end of the day, it's actually a crime and that person must not just be given a query in the school the school shouldn't just investigate after the investigation it should be handed over to the law enforcement agencies right because it's a crime some of these things persist from the student who is not serious in school that the professor have seen and from the culture of impunity where they've done this in over and over it's like the policeman who the narrative is always i will kill you and nothing will happen yeah that's always the narrative so the professor too I would do this and nothing will happen. I don't know the documentary this person is talking about, but a particular one that I saw, I think it was a movie, that they took it to an extreme where some boys actually planned for that professor and that whole plan, the professor lost his life. Now, these are the kind of thing that happens. It's a societal failure. And again, this failure starts from home. It starts from home. If a girl will go to school, sometimes... Both are victims, the professor and the girl. They are victims. And I don't think I'm reading too much into this. If I see it as the perpetrator, the professor is male and, and the victim is female. This sex for greed, right? So, but it's a systemic failure. And if education is properly defined, if we're not going to substitute schooling for education, if we're not going to misdefine schooling as education, there will be no reason for this desperation. The sex for great thing can be on a very, very graphic level. How about exam or practice? That someone will want to cheat to pass is because we have overvalued certificates. I had once that there was exam or practice in the seminary. 
in a seminary, someone want, who went to a seminary and is, we want to maybe graduate and become maybe a pastor or something like that. So, you see, it's a systemic failure. But we're talking about education. And let's limit it to that. I think we have placed an unrealistic value, an inaccurate value on passing exams as the measure of education, which is not true. Why should I cheat? How can someone learning mechanic work cheat? So our education needs to be more hands-on, more vocation-based. Not all this you go and I'm not talking about, I'm not saying people shouldn't go and study history or geography or things like that. But if I'm going to study history, what should be the end? Is it to go and teach the history? What's the place of research? Where is the freedom to be able to conduct research into history in certain areas where, okay, I read history, but this is my specialty. What is making the person read history? Is it because he couldn't read maths? These are the problems that we have. We did a quick survey years ago. Most 70% of university students are reading courses they never plan to read. They are reading courses that is determined by a cut of marks in jump. You see, you can't educate under pressure. You can't educate because you have to be educated. You can only be educated because you want to be educated. And if, if you have to be educated, sex for grade will come in. If you have to be educated, exam or practice will come in. But if you want to be educated, you don't need anybody to encourage you. You don't need anybody to harass you. It's, so these are the things that we need to do. We, we are all sort of gravitating towards a particular area so that we can have a BSc at the front of our name. We can have an MSc, MA or PhD you know, in front of our name. But these things don't mean nothing in today's world. The richest man on earth doesn't have a PhD. And there are a lot of PhD holders who can't pay their children's school fees. They can't even feed their families very well. As a parting shot, I believe most of the problems that we face as a society, most of the challenges facing our nation can be solved with accurate, functional, relevant, contextual education. When we have that, it translates to economic empowerment is no longer something that is a seminar. It's no longer a political program. It becomes a natural consequence of functional you know, we talk about bullying in Nigeria. Most of the scripts we read to talk about bullying is from the West. There is a very thin line between bullying and discipline. If you go to a mechanic shed, the first few weeks, I always use these guys, right? The first few weeks for you to go and buy food for your master, the way they call it. Somebody will call that bullying. You miss some particular thing and you are whipped. Somebody called that bullying. We don't have a culture where we don't Kin children. We don't have that culture, right? Mine is, it's not about bullying. Is what do you call bullying? If it can be adjudged as bullying, it must be punished. It must be dealt with. But it's not all this Western way of bullying. Somebody said, you are a black man, I wish you dead. And then you go and hang yourself. I mean, for me, we are reading too many Western scripts. We need functional, relevant contextual education most of the problems we're having in our country the reason why the ignorant those who lack intellect are governing is because we have not been able to put intellectualism education on its proper pedestal 
and it's so important we need education to be work-based value work education should be economic education should be political education should be cultural it should be something that reminds us of who we really are because when someone is truly truly educated the only discovery that person will make is himself or herself and that person will see that i am not just a woodpecker in society i'm someone equipped to add in value Thank you very much for hanging out with me on this episode of Dr. Reggie Podcast. Let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Reggie Musings, on Instagram, Dr. Reggie, on Twitter, Dr. Reggie. And we can be listened to on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a host of other podcast spaces. Please follow me and uh, drop a comment, drop a question, and I'll be glad to continue this conversation with you. Thank you again for listening. Bye-bye.